Well, last week, last Sunday evening, I told you that my all-time favorite story is The Lord of the Rings. I love to read it. I've read it loads of times. I love to watch it. I've watched it even more times. Uh, And this is a little bit sad. Um, I'm going to confess. As I do that, I love to imagine that I'm one of the characters. Uh, I love to imagine that I, uh, what it would be like to be uh, Legolas or Aragorn or or Gandalf. Uh, You might think that's a little bit weird thing to do. Very sad. These guys are laughing at me at the front already. Um, You might think it's a weird thing. But but actually, I, I think you probably do something similar. I bet you do something similar because that's what we do when we hear a good story, isn't it? We, we identify with the characters. We step into their shoes. My daughter, Immy, does this a lot. There's lots of role play going on in my house at the moment. And whatever story it is that we're acting out, Immy, without fail, is the hero. Immy is always the hero. We, we don't get a look in. She is always the hero. And I think we do something similar when it comes to reading the Bible. More often than not, we like to think of ourselves as being just like the hero in the story. We like to think of ourselves as the hero. So we identify with people like Moses or David or in this case Joshua. And we think, well, I'm just like them. I must be meant to learn from them to to be like them. We want to be the hero. And sometimes that is a right and a helpful thing for us to do. We thought a bit about that last week as we learned from Joshua. There's a lot of things we can learn from these people in the Bible. But as we read through the Bible, we can also see that there are times we're meant to identify with the most unlikely of people. The people that on first reading we think, those people are nothing like me. Sometimes we're meant to see ourselves in places that we wouldn't expect. And Joshua chapter 2 is one of those times. In Joshua chapter 2, the person we're meant to identify with and learn from is a pagan prostitute. The character that we need to see ourselves in this evening is an immoral woman from a nation that stands in opposition to God and opposition to his people. And so as we work through this chapter this evening, we need to see ourselves in the prostitute Rahab. Because as Daph began with this evening, it's in Rahab that we see what it means for an outsider, an enemy, to become one of God's people. So we're going to learn from a prostitute this evening. We're going to learn from Rahab. And the first thing that Rahab teaches us is who salvation is for. Who salvation is for? Just look again at verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1 with me. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Remember, last week, Joshua is on the edge of the promised land, at the edge of the River Jordan. And now, before he moves in, he sends two spies ahead of him. And so these spies, they go in, and having done a bit of spying, they end up at the local brothel. It's a bit of a questionable place to stay. Maybe they thought it was somewhere that they would go unnoticed, somewhere people wouldn't come looking, and so they could go unnoticed through the night. 
But if that was their plan, it doesn't seem to work very well, does it? Because in verse 2, the king of Jericho hears that there might be Israelite spies in his city. And so he sends some soldiers to go out and see what's going on. The soldiers arrive at Rahab's house and they begin to question her. And then look at what she says in verse 4. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly, you may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. If you've ever studied Joshua before or been through it before, you might know that people tend to get a little bit hung up at this point in the book. They get hung up on the question about whether or not it's okay to lie. And so they might say something like, well, Rahab lies to save these spies. And so does that mean it's okay for me to lie if I'm in a desperate situation? And if that's a question that that you have this evening, I'm afraid I'm going to disappoint you. Because although the Bible does speak specifically elsewhere about lying, I don't think that's the point of Joshua chapter 2. Because when we step back and and remember all that is happening in this scene, I'm not sure that the point is for us to see the rights and wrongs of what Rahab does, whether lying is a good thing or a bad thing. No, instead, the, the big question that we should ask at this point is why? Why on earth has this woman Rahab, this Canaanite woman Rahab, chosen to risk her life and lie to these soldiers? only to save the lives of some foreign spies who have come into her city. Why on earth would she do that? What is going on? And the answer that Joshua chapter 2 gives us, the reason that Rahab chooses to side with the Israelites, is because she's come to believe in their God. Later on in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 11, we're told that it was because of her faith in God that Abraham acted in this way. We're going to see in just a moment how she comes to have that faith. But before we get there, we just got to pause at this point and see how amazing and how significant this is in the story of Joshua. Just think again about who Rahab is. She is a Canaanite. She belongs to a pagan nation, a nation that worships idols, not God. A nation that stands as an enemy of God and an enemy of his people. But more than that, she's a prostitute. She lives an immoral life. A life that is a million miles away from the kind of holiness and purity that God requires of his people. And so Rahab, the pagan prostitute, well, she is the most unlikely of believers. Yet, Right at the start of the book of Joshua, here is the account of how this woman becomes one of God's people. It's interesting, isn't it, where it comes in the book. It doesn't actually need to be there to make sense of these chapters. You could easily read from the end of chapter 1 straight on into the start of chapter 3. But before we get to all these battles and conquests and fights, here is the story of an outsider coming into the people of God. And it's put there to remind us that salvation is for anyone. Salvation is for anyone. 
You see, there are going to be some hard bits as we go through Joshua this term. It isn't easy to read about the destruction of entire cities. It's not easy to hear about the deaths of thousands and thousands of people. But as we read those sections, we mustn't think that this is just God showing favoritism. This isn't some sort of ethnic cleansing going on. No, God's salvation is available to all. Wherever you're from, whatever you've done. And so can I say, if you're not a Christian here this evening, well, then you need to know this. You need to know that you don't need to be a certain type of person for God to accept you. You don't have to have a morally respectable past for God to accept you. In fact, there's actually nothing that you can do that is too bad for God to forgive. If Rahab can become one of God's people, well then so can you. And if you are a Christian here this evening, then, well, then I hope Rahab's example reminds you that anyone can become a Christian. I think sometimes we kind of mentally rank people on how likely they are to come to faith. There are some people that we know and, and we think, well, yeah, I could really see them sitting next to me at church one day. I could really see them be, becoming a Christian. And then there are others who we think, no, no, there's no, there's no way. No way they'd believe this stuff. And then what happens is we find ourselves making much more of an effort to share the gospel with the likely group than the unlikely group. But you see, Rahab shows us that there is no unlikely or likely group. She shows us that God can and does save people regardless of who they are, regardless of where they're from, regardless of what they are like. And that means that we can and should be willing to take the gospel to anyone and everyone that we meet. So first, Rahab shows us who salvation is for. It's for anyone. Then second, she shows us how salvation comes. Having sent the soldiers off in the wrong direction, she goes up onto her roof and in verse 8, she begins to explain herself to the spies. She tells them that she knows what is about to happen. She knows what's coming. She knows that the Lord has given the land to the Israelites and that nothing will stop him. How does she know that? What makes her so sure? Look at verse 10. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, who you completely destroyed... When we heard of it, our hearts sank and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. What makes Rahab so sure? What makes her so sure that she'll risk her life? Well, that she, it's that she's heard all about what God has done in the past. Did you see that repeated word at the start of verse 10 and again at verse 11? We have heard when we heard. Rahab has heard all about God's deeds in the past. She's heard about how he rescued his people from that superpower, Egypt. She's heard about how he defeated the kings east of the Jordan. In other words, she has heard that whenever the Lord goes up against anyone, no matter how powerful, 
There is only one outcome. Rahab hears about the mighty acts of God in the past. She hears about his judgment and how he defeats his enemies. And so in verse 11, she is filled with fear. Filled with fear before such a mighty, powerful God. And it's that right fear of the Lord that leads Rahab to put her faith in the Lord. It leads her to believe, end of verse 11, that the Lord is not just the God of the Israelites, but the God of the whole world. That he's the creator and ruler of the heavens and the earth. And that means he's not just Israel's God, he's her God. And so, you see, for, well, for Rahab, it's hearing that leads to believing. She wasn't there back in Egypt. She didn't witness the plagues. She didn't see the parting of the Red Sea. She wasn't there when the Israelites defeated the kings east of the Jordan. She didn't see any of it. But that doesn't stop her believing. It was enough for Rahab to have heard about those things. And again, the same is true for us. If you've been with us in our morning services, you'll know that we're, we've just started our series in John's Gospel. We've mentioned it a few times, but right at the end of John's Gospel in chapter 20, he, he explains why he's written his Gospel. He writes this in chapter 20, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Lots of people say that they would just believe in Jesus if they could see him. If he would appear in front of them face to face, then they'd be convinced. Then they would believe. But here in Joshua and in John, we see that it's not seeing, but hearing that leads to believing. John says he's written his gospel so that as you open it, as you hear about Jesus from its pages, you can know and believe that he is the Messiah, that he is God's son, and that by believing you can have life in his name. So you see, Rahab shows us that faith comes through hearing, hearing and believing in the Lord. But hearing and believing is not the end of the story, is it? Because the last thing that we need to see and learn from Rahab is what we must do. What we must do. You see, Rahab, she knows what God has done in the past. She knows that he is the one true God. And so she knows that along with all of Jericho, she faces his judgment. She knows all those things. But knowing is not enough, is it? Because her knowing must lead her to action. We see that twice in our passage. Back at the start, in verse 4, when the soldiers come knocking, Rahab has a decision to make. She must decide whose side she's on. Will she hide the spies? Or will she hand them over? Her faith must lead to action. And we see the same in verse 12. Just look at verse 12 with me. Rahab says to the spies, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, 
and that you will save us from death. Rahab believes in God. She knows her city faces destruction. And that belief, that faith, it causes her to act. It causes her to make a deal with the spies. The promise of protection in exchange for helping them to escape. In verse 14, the spies agree. And then in verse 15 through to the end, we see how Rahab helps them to escape the city. Escapes, they can return back to the Israelite camp, ready to invade Jericho. And so you see, for Rahab, faith leads her to action. And in doing so, it shows, her, shows itself to be true faith. Just keep a finger in, jo- in Joshua 2 and turn with me quickly to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Just quickly. Someone who has the church Bible finds the page number, shout it out for everyone. 1214 in the church Bible. James chapter 2 and verse 24. In James chapter 2, verse 24, we see Rahab mentioned again. Just look there with me. James says, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. In explaining the relationship between faith and works, James points us to the example of Rahab. And his point is simple. He says, when you look at Rahab, you see that true saving faith always leads to action. Or to put it the other way around, faith that doesn't lead to action is no faith at all. It is dead faith. The example that people often use to to help explain this is the the example of the, the famous escape artist Houdini. One of Houdini's most famous stunts was walking along a tightrope that stretched across the top of the Niagara Falls. Uh, But being Houdini, he didn't just walk across. Uh, He walked across pushing a wheelbarrow full of coal. Uh, And so the crowds, they they watched in amazement as he made it across. They clapped and cheered and said how amazing he was. Uh, At which point Houdini asked the crowd, who believes I can do it with a person instead of coal in my wheelbarrow? Uh, The crowd cheered again, of course we believe you can. You can do anything, Houdini. Uh, And so smiling, Houdini asked the crowd, Okay, put your hand up if you want to get in my wheelbarrow. Not a single hand was raised. Uh, and, and so you see true belief, true faith, it shows itself in action. For Rahab, it meant risking her life to protect the spies and then helping them to escape. That's what it meant for her. But what about for us? What does true faith look like for us? Uh, well, we actually thought a little bit about this uh, on the YPF camp uh, a few weeks ago. We listened in as Jesus explained to his disciples what true faith, true discipleship would look like. And we saw that, first of all, it, it would look like wholehearted obedience to his word. Just as it was no good for Rahab to simply say that the Lord is God, 
it is no good for us to just say that Jesus is king. It's no good for us just to talk about how much we love Jesus. Because as Jesus says in John chapter 14, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And so the evidence of our love, the evidence of our faith, is that we are trying each and every day to live in obedience to God's word. That was the first thing. True faith looks like obedience. The next thing we saw was that true faith looks like loving other believers. John 13, Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. True faith shows itself in love for other believers. Rahab risked her home, her life, her family to protect God's people. We might not be called to do those things this week, but we are called to love other believers, whatever the cost. Even when it costs us a bit of that me time that we were so much looking forward to this week. Even when it costs us a bit of money that we've earned and we're looking forward to spending on ourselves. True faith loves like Jesus loves. It loves even when it costs us. And then thirdly, true faith reaches out. In John chapter 15, Jesus explains to the disciples that they will face hatred, persecution, opposition, all for following him. But despite this, they are to be his witnesses in a hostile world. They and we, his followers, are to spread the gospel, spread the good news that God has sent his only son, Jesus, so that outsiders, people like Rahab, people like you and people like me, can be brought in, can be forgiven and made one of God's children. And so true faith reaches out. It reaches out so that there can be more stories like Rahab's. More examples of God's abundant grace in bringing outsiders in, all because of what Jesus has done. And so if you're a Christian here this evening, I hope you can see that you are just like Rahab. Once you were an outsider, once you were an enemy of God, but by his grace, he has brought you in. And if you're not a Christian, here tonight. I hope that you can see that, well, that this can be your story too. You have heard this evening all about God's goodness and grace, just like Rahab did. You have heard about his power to save, save people like Rahab. And so like Rahab, all you need to do is trust him. All you need to do is put your faith in him. And you can go from being an outsider to a child of God. If that's something that you'd like to think more about, then please do come and grab me or, or Daff after the service. We'd love to talk to you more about what it means to be brought in to the people of God through the Lord Jesus. We, can be made, we are outsiders who are made insiders by God's grace. Let's pray. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, 
Remember that at that time you are separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Our loving Heavenly Father, we praise you this evening for the Lord Jesus. We praise you that by his blood we have been made insiders, children, people who belong to you. Not through anything that we have done, not through anything that we deserve, but all because of your grace in the Lord Jesus. And so we praise his name tonight. Amen.